0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Latter-day Struggles. This is your host, Valerie. I am really grateful to be with you here today. I'm going to actually take a pause on the series that Nathan and I are in the middle of and and very much enjoying doing with you. I'm going to pause with you today and talk about something. I'm going to go deeper into our last conversation. We have had uh, so many of you who have reached out and responded with your thoughts and feelings and your aha moments and some really spiritual, uh, special experiences and changes of heart that you have had as you have listened to and really taken in our last episode where we talked about a different way to think and feel about the atonement of Jesus Christ. I want to just share, first of all, a couple of uh, ideas and thoughts that people have shared with me. One of these comes from one of the women who is a part of one of my support groups and I just have thought about this and thought about this, and it has, um, it's truly, it's been transformative for me, not only because I personally am growing and learning right here alongside you on this journey, but also I'm really learning from and feeling deeply as you share your stories with me. Uh, what this, this woman said a couple of days ago as we were reflecting on the, the Monday, the most recent episode of the the podcast about the atonement. And she said, you know, I've always been, I've always struggled with having what I would like to believe is a close and loving relationship between myself and my father in heaven. And she said, you know, as I listened to and was learning about the penal substitutionary version of the atonement of Jesus Christ, she said, all of a sudden, everything made sense she said i have only been taught to know of a father in heaven who is vengeful and angry and scary and she said so my my little spirit ever since i was a kid i couldn't i couldn't figure out how to love that kind of god and she says it's carried on through through my whole life and so she said you know as i listened to that conversation for the first time First of all, I began to give myself grace, that there's nothing crazy about me or wrong with me, that I can't connect with that kind of a God. And also, she said, to me, I'm finally able to begin to perhaps have a real relationship with my father in heaven. So that is uh, just one of the examples of, of how we, I think, all are trying to integrate and learn how to be closer to God, and I think it's beautiful that not only are we learning how to be closer to what some of us have experienced as um, a distant, um, angry, vengeful, uh, frightening uh, male deity, but also we are integrating and introducing um, a female deity also that we can be in loving, kind, and gentle connection with. So that's kind of how I wanted to uh, open our, our time together today, is just by talking about how maybe some of us are um are endeavoring to learn how to be in relationship with a different kind of of god and that may mean that we're beginning to have uh the courage to look into um cultivating a a brand new relationship with the mother in heaven and some of you i know are further along than others but many of us um, as we do this growth expansion this faith expansion journey we're recognizing that like my goodness we've never really been encouraged to have uh, a relationship with the feminine face of God, and now we're also having to sort of um, integrate a new way of looking at our Heavenly Father or the male face of God. So this is um, truly, truly a faith expansion journey on so many levels. Something else that I wanted to expand today with you as we go a little bit deeper into this conversation about atonement, and I'm doing this really based on uh, your your conversations with me, uh, the conversations that I'm having with the people that are in my small groups, and really just, honestly, I'm learning so much from you as uh, we have these ongoing back and forth conversations, whether it be through uh, through the verbal word or through the written word. But what's come up for me is um, a really powerful aha moment that I I've had this experience um, many many times, and because of you and our conversations, I was able to finally um, make sense of something that I've noticed over and over and over again, um, um, that I've noticed in my clinical setting as I've been a therapist. So a little bit of backstory about me: I have advanced training in issues around sexual health and sexual addiction, and uh, for a couple of years there, um, a few years ago, I spent a lot of time working uh speaking generally at the stake and the regional level and i also did some things in sort of the secular world and uh other church settings as well of other denominations where i did a lot of teaching and instructing on on the issues of um making sense of our sexuality and also sex addiction and, and sexual addiction recovery and so as a product of that, I ended up having a lot of my my clinical caseload for a, for a, a period of time show up in, with that sort of presentation, and I really learned a lot, and I really really enjoyed this kind of redemptive work because I noticed that if there's some if there's a place where the atonement really um, is needed desperately, it's needed for all of us in all things. But I guess I would have to say that if um, there is one population where Christianity, maybe in general, and our church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in particular, really hurts people. It's people that struggle with um, anything that you might call uh, sexual addiction. Some people call it sexual compulsivity, or in short, people who struggle having a relationship with uh, with pornography, um, oftentimes accompanied by by chronic masturbation. And these people are in agony. And most of the time because they believe that the atonement of Jesus Christ cannot be activated until they are quote doing better, these people are in a perpetual cycle of shame and agony. So let me just walk you through what I have learned just by noticing um, what this brings up. In other words, when we have an understanding, um, or I guess I should say a misunderstanding of, of the nature of the atonement, and we say that it's infinite and eternal, but we don't believe it actually is infinite and eternal, or we believe that actually uh, we somehow don't qualify for it because of the unique nature of what we have struggled with, we really run into problems where um, the only possible outcome is the perpetuation of ongoing uh, grief and shame. So let me just share with you, I'm going to call this, I'm going to just talk about a, a generic Client and I'm going to call him John because that's just a simple name. I promise there is no real John that I'm referring to here. So John comes in and he starts to share with me what's going on um, about his his history and his story and um, how he wants to overcome this struggle. And I'm not gonna, (laughs) this is not an exaggeration. This is really true. I spend the better part of anywhere from several sessions to several months, or even in some cases, a couple of years (laughs) in a wrestle with John and the wrestle that I have is convincing John that he is not broken. The wrestle that I have with him is helping him see and actually come to believe that he is lovable. And it kind of sounds something like this, John, you've told me what you're going through. I understand you've told me a lot of your details. You've told me what, um, what you're, what you're suffering from, what you want to overcome. And John, I'm here to say you're lovable. You're okay. The atonement covers has covered and will cover and already has covered all of the things that you've participated in. And he says to me, no, it hasn't. I'm disgusting. I'm a pervert. There's something wrong with me. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. We can work on these other things that you're talking to me about, but But you have to understand that your worth is not on the table. It never has been. John will not get this because there's something deep inside of him that says, you are not lovable until you stop doing this. You are uniquely broken. You are uniquely flawed because your struggles happen to be sexual in nature. You are not eligible for the infinite atonement and so we go back and forth and back and forth. Obviously, I'm just sort of uh, trying to help you understand uh, without going into all of the details because I never could do that in the months and months that I work with him. But the essence of this is, is that I have to come to convince him through my, um, my love for him that I am only a mirror through which he can begin to understand the infinite nature of God's love and Jesus Christ's love for him notwithstanding the fact that he is wounded and that he is, in fact, working through something. And until he comes to understand that, he will not be able to access the power that he has already within him because the power comes, the engine that heals all of us is love. And so when he's marinating in his own self-hatred and when he's marinating in what he believes is God's, disgust and hatred for him he will not be able to access what finally is the thing that will in fact heal him from this which is the power of love when the atonement is received and when we are actually able to believe that notwithstanding our woundedness we are already fully lovable and when we re- when we realize that then We begin to have and activate the the harness the power that is already there to heal us from our wounds now in in john's case this is especially important because shame is incredibly debilitating most of the time when we feel shame we want to make it go away we want to numb ourselves out so in the case of um issues of sexual addiction or um, sexually compulsive behavior what they, they go in that direction because they are, in fact, trying to numb themselves from some other painful kind of experience or memory or sensation. And so what we do when we shame people that struggle with this is we actually drive them towards the behavior, not away from it. And so the more he feels this internal shame or feels this obligation to feel shame as a way of sort of helping him stop, the more he will actually engage in the behavior to get uh, a temporary respite. Because oftentimes these, um, any addictive behavior, really, whether it be um, alcohol or drugs or sex or shopping or or gambling, whatever the thing is, when we're in that addiction cycle, oftentimes there is a very, very short term numbing effect that happens before this cycle just kind of carries on. So oftentimes when we evoke and invite and sometimes even insist on people feeling shame for the behavior that we're not happy with, what we're actually doing is we're driving them back into the arms of the addiction over and over and over again. And it's a cycle of despair. And it's a cycle where while the atonement has the power to heal that individual and to help them, it's inactive, it can't work because people don't recognize that love, self-love and God's love for them is in fact the thing that will heal them because love is the activating power that helps us uh, be made over in the image of God. Okay. So let's just talk a little bit more about how this may look. So some people have a harder time than others, but most of the time as we work through this wrestle, it is, um, what's growing between John and myself is, is he starts beginning to question the very possibility that he can be lovable while he is still wounded. And most of the time, it really comes through my curiosity, my openness, his noticing my body language, his noticing that I can tolerate whatever he has to say, and his noticing that I continuously stay close to him, stay present, stay able to accept him fully, no matter what he says, no matter how he describes it. And so as he as he sees this and notices this play out week after week slowly but surely he begins to question the possibility that maybe i'm a um a representation of what others may be able to feel for him as he is fully and deeply seen and oftentimes i'm even very explicit about this is part of my training is i have um no problem asking what do you think i think of you as you share these things with with me and oftentimes they begin by sort of transferring their own disgust, like you're probably disgusted or you're probably um, faking it. And over and over and over again, they basically have to be reminded because I remind them directly, no, no, I, I want to hear, I want to validate the suffering that goes on behind the behavior. And I want you to know that, that, that you infinitely and forever are, are loved and that I love you. And most of the time they don't accept that at first because they don't know what it feels like. They are so consumed in almost like this deep commitment of self-rejection and other rejection and God rejection that the idea that they deserve love before they become healed is almost incomprehensible until finally, I think as the weeks go by, they recognize that there's something strange (laughs) and different about our relationship that somehow I have the ability to love them despite their woundedness. And the idea here is that I'm trying to mirror to him God's love for him. And I don't want to compare myself in any way, shape, or form to God, but what we are all trying to do is be a mirror through which other people can see God's love. That's what we're here on this earth to do. Everybody, we are here to feel God's love and to help others feel God's love. through the love that we are able to communicate to them. And so as I work with him, slowly but surely something starts to melt and they begin to actually receive the healing power of Jesus Christ's atonement. They begin to recognize that maybe they are lovable enough even in the midst of their deepest struggles and that very thing is the thing that begins their healing process. Now that is not to say that they don't have work to do. I wanna make sure I'm very clear on that. That doesn't mean that like we can just continue in the wounded ways that we are behaving in this case, in the, in the practicing of pornography and other behaviors, other escalating behaviors that um, sometimes comprise a sexual addiction. We work on those, but we do it in the context of somebody already knowing that they are lovable and that they have this uh, capacity to heal that they didn't know they could have when they were consumed in the very energy draining uh, life experience of all-consuming shame. Okay, so you may wonder to yourself, what is it that you actually, uh, how do you how do you work with them after they begin to recognize that the atonement really is in fact infinite and that it actually counts for them too? Well, what we work on, what we talk about, I always um, help get people hooked into some sort of support group experience where they are actually able to be around people who are a little further on in their healing journey. I'm a big fan of some of these 12 step programs. I'm not gonna name any specifically here because um, I don't necessarily endorse any one of them, but I do believe that it's so important to be plugged in in a program where people feel like they are able to talk about what they're going through specific to their addiction or their struggle. I hate to use that word because I feel like it's it's oftentimes overused. And so they go into these programs and they begin to work with people, they begin to connect. They begin to find intimacy in groups of people that feel where they feel safe. They, they notice uh, the successes and struggles of other individuals. They're able to be inspired by people who are in front of them in their growth journey. So they recognize that they their brains, their bodies, their spirits can, in fact, heal. And it's in a place of no judgment. And this is a really important co- component of this healing journey because when they move into these group settings they are not directly in contact with people that they have direct impact over so sometimes couples feel like well we can just heal this you know inside of our marriage well that's not really actually um, an ideal setup to say the least because the partner is oftentimes directly impacted by sexual acting out behavior and their their pornography struggles and so really both parties need their own sort of separate kind of healing experiences. Both of them have experienced a lot of trauma through this part of their relationship. And so both of them actually do need their own kind of recovery experience. And so what I will do is I'll make sure that I send um, the individual who's recovering into some sort of a group setting. And it's really important that they keep, um, they're really uh, faithful in attending that and that they cultivate those relationships. Um, Sex addiction is oftentimes the foundation of it, there are a couple different um, foundations. So I don't again want to oversimplify this, and this isn't intended to be like a full-on episode about sex addiction, but just to keep it very, very simple. Oftentimes, there's definitely a link in those who struggle with this and those who really have um, have struggles in in psychological, spiritual, and emotional intimacy. So recovery, it's it an important component of recovery is actually learning how to be psychologically, spiritually, and emotionally intimate, both with our intimate partners, if we have one, or with people around us where we can feel safe and seen. Okay. So I'm going to circle back to how I directly work with somebody who has finally embraced the power of the infinite and eternal atonement. And they recognize that their their sins, as it were, they're, they're already paid for. It's already happened. And that, in fact, is the motivating power that helps them then do what they are able to do to actually be truly expanded and evolved, where they do end up having no more disposition to do that which they have struggled with before. Now, how does that happen? Well, generally speaking, I work with people um, in a variety of different ways, but let me just give you a few examples. It's good for me to understand. um, I like to know uh, a sexual history. I kind of like to know where they come from, how they came by, how they see sexuality, where, um, who taught them, what was, was there a lot of shame incorporated with it? Was there an openness? Was it experienced um, in terms of the, you know, the education side was, was it seen as something normal, healthy, adaptive, part of what it means to be human, part of what it means to be a child of God? Is that the paradigm? Or was there a little bit more angstiness, uh, shame? Uh, Was there, was it something that was um, uncomfortable was it something that they needed to sort of self-educate around? Was there a lot of rigidity around it? Or maybe on the flip side, was there a lot of chaos around it? Uh, did they need to uh, feel like they needed to hide what it felt like to be maturing into a sexual being as they move through their later childhood and into their, into their adolescent years? Oftentimes when we have a high anxiety relationship with sexuality in our early years, it is a risk factor for um, exploration in ways that are not adaptive. Okay, something else that I work with people on is I want to understand the nature of their relationships. I want to understand if it feels like the idea of connecting on on an even emotionally intimate level feels overwhelming and scary for them. Uh, The way I like to think about sexuality is it is a deep and profound and beautiful expression of what it means to be human, but it's a very, very um, rich and full and vulnerable way to be seen and known. And so if somebody um, struggles fundamentally with being seen and being seen deeply and being vulnerable and showing up sort of as their whole full selves, then sexuality with a human being that has wants and needs and desires and moods and passions and all those things, that, that's going to be very, very challenging. So I'd like to understand a little bit more about what it means for them to feel, how, how do they do in being seen and known? And a lot of the healing that we do in our work together, interestingly enough, um, is less related to the the direct subject of one's sexuality. Although it is integrated, it really has to do with understanding themselves as um, emotional beings. It has to do with how they manage big feelings, how they manage rejection, where they come by these feelings, what are their motives when they move towards somebody, when they move away from somebody. It really is important for me to understand and to kind of work with them and helping them understand what is it that they are motivated by. And when they've when they've moved into these uh, behaviors that, that have become compulsive in their cases, what is driving that? Oftentimes there are um, a constellation of feelings that they don't want to feel or experiences they don't want to remember or something that they're trying to emotionally um, distance themselves from. And so I work with them on trying to um, heighten their abilities to feel deeper, to feel through their feelings, to even feel into what it feels like to have a compulsion and learn how to ride that wave, but not sort of be subsumed by it. And so slowly, but surely I work with these folks and I also help them recognize that they are in fact not going to be able to overcome these things overnight. A lot of what I work with people on in this particular presentation is that we are in fact rewiring the brain. There are neural pathways that need to be, um, I think about a road, and I think that there are certain roads that need to be turning into superhighways and to get those neural pathways moved over so that the signals can move faster. And there are other roads that need to be turned into dirt roads and they eventually need to be grassed over where we don't use those neural pathways anymore. But that, my friends, is a very slow process. And so what everyone um, involved does well to understand is that in this process they are still going to be having those behaviors sometimes and once again that is okay that is how we heal we learn how to walk one step at a time and so if we can give ourselves the grace to be uh works in process to have love for ourselves as we are working through these um challenging behaviors um overcoming some of these patterned behaviors that we have and learning how to love ourselves and give ourselves the grace that Jesus Christ and our parents in heaven are just delighted to give us throughout our entire lives. If we can become truly more like them, not in just the other ways that we're always typically wanting to talk about, but if we can become more like them in the grace that we give ourselves. And if we can become more like them and not demanding that we exact justice upon ourselves as a way of um, paying for our sins, if we can show grace to ourselves and not feel like we are compelled to show justice upon ourselves, then we in fact are activating for ourselves the power of the atonement that is always there for the taking. And that is how people heal. That is how people are able to graciously, slowly, but surely rewire their brain through love, rewire their ability to be in relationship through love and rework the way they see themselves, the way they see others, the way they see intimacy in general and sexual intimacy in specific. This is the way we're able to sort of look at the world through the eyes of love. And most of the time when I work with people and they get well into this process, I look deeply into their eyes and I say, because of what you are going through, you understand what it means to be healed by the power of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And we need you. Others need you because they need to have hope. They need to have the hope that they too can be healed. That the atonement truly heals and that it was activated long before you were even born. And that love is the power that gives you the grace to allow yourself the process that you're going through. And I look into the eyes of these individuals, men and women, I worked with both, and I say you are needed to help others know that they too can have hope that all of us in some way are wounded and we can be healed. And I feel like that's especially important for people to be able to not only work through, but to be able to articulate and speak into and have the courage to talk about, because we live in a culture in conservative Christianity and in our church where we don't necessarily have a narrative around what it feels like to heal. We also do a a lot of harm in treating this particular struggle as something that is uniquely vile and evil and maybe outside of the bounds of the power of the atonement. And is absolutely destructive to people's hearts and souls and minds and wills and their ability to actually lean into the power of the atonement that is absolutely as much theirs for the taking as for anybody else that has ever come to this earth. And so not only do we need to understand the infinite nature of the atonement, we also need to understand that we too can be a part of it. And that when we um, get it, when we recognize that we are eligible for it, even those who struggle with sins of sexual addiction in the case of what I'm talking about with you today, that we speak into that and help give others hope. And that we help others recognize that the idea that the atonement only counts once we have begun the healing process or done something to prove ourselves, we have to keep um, speaking out against that philosophy it's harmful. It's not true. It, um, it it binds the hands of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave us the free gift, who is truly and in every way the healer. And all he wants to do is heal us. And then what we can do as we become healed is we help other people see the light. All right, I'm going to pause here. Thank Thankful for you being here today and helping, allowing me to walk with you through a case example of how I have actually seen this activated in my own office over and over and over again now I've noticed that people are just determined to show justice upon themselves they are determined that that is the only way that the atonement can work and it's absolutely completely backwards so I hope that you will share this with people in your lives if you know or love anybody who struggles with this particular experience please share this uh, with them share this far and wide I'm really appreciating the those of you who are um, invested in spreading this, in helping other people see that uh, we all can see and be seen by a heavenly father, a heavenly mother, and a savior, Jesus Christ, who truly infinitely loves us. And uh, that's what this podcast is all about. It's about growing up spiritually and psychologically and recognizing um, how empowered we truly are as we truly come to see ourselves in relationship with God, in ways that are spiritually and psychologically healing and really talking about these to other people. Okay. So good to be with you all. Please stop, if you will, and rate and review this podcast and know that you are, and I would love to meet some of you or some more of you. If you're interested in joining one of my small groups, please reach out to me at info at valeriehammiker.com or on Instagram at Latter-day Struggles Podcast. Um, They're growing quickly. We're having some wonderful sacred experiences, coming together in community and and healing, and coming together uh, as we work through faith expansion journeys. And I'm really enjoying you and would love to get to know you. So thanks for being with me and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.